this is where I learned my people pleasing. This is where I learned my put myself last. This is where I learned fear of judgment because, you know, you have to be a certain way and you're not supposed to move out of the house until you're married. You're not even supposed to have a boyfriend. You're just supposed to get married, you know, Mm -hmm. and you don't have kids until you're married. Like all of these old school, traditional, you know, cultural rules that we had to abide by. And I broke those rules at 17. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me, I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls and the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you. What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hey beautiful souls, it's so great to have you here and welcome. Please don't forget to subscribe rate and review and send this podcast over to someone who could really get something positive from connecting with these stories. One of the themes in all the stories we're hearing on the podcast is forgiveness. We might have had a really tough time and those times affect everything. It can change who we are and it can change our life path and we can spend years feeling anger, depression, rejection, all the things. But what's clear is that when we get to a place of forgiveness, we can understand that our parents too had so much to deal with, so much stuff handed down to them. What happened to us may not have been okay, but when we forgive, we can understand, we can find love and we can move on. This week, I'm chatting with the fabulous Rita Pira. Rita comes from a strict cultural background and it was tough growing up. There were many expectations around what she could and couldn't do and she broke all the rules to live the life she wanted for herself. But there is a big dose of forgiveness in this story and I know you're going to enjoy hearing it. So please join me for Rita's story. Hi, Rita. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, hi. I'm so excited. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this all week. Oh, awesome. So tell me a little bit about your family because you come from a strict cultural background, don't you? I do. Yes. The strictest of the strict, I would say. Wow. (laughs) So we're Assyrian. So it's whenever I say that, people think I'm saying I'm A, like the letter A followed by the word Syrian. But that's not what I'm saying. I'm Assyrian. It's A-S-S-Y-R-I-A-N. So that's ancient Babylonian, Mesopotamian, back in the day when the day was back, like 600 BC type of stuff. And we don't have a country anymore. So I joke and say we're homeless, which is not really funny, but. (laughs) So we're raised very, very Christian. I grew up going to Sunday school. I was yanked out of bed. I had to go. I had no choice. Even if I faked sick, I still went to church And we were learning to read and write in Assyrian, which I still speak fluently, but I don't know how to read or write anymore um, because it's not used. So how would I even retain it? Our culture is very strict in the sense of women are the nurturers, the caregivers, the, they cook, they clean, they take care of the household, the, the husband, the kids, like that is the role of the woman, very old school, very old fashioned. And they also are um, 
kind of like, this is where I learned my people pleasing. This is where I learned my put myself last. This is where I learned fear of judgment because people, you know, you have to be a certain way and you're not supposed to move out of the house until you're married. You're not even supposed to have a boyfriend. You're just supposed to get married, you know, mm-hmm. and you don't have kids until you're married. Like all of these old school, traditional, you know, cultural rules that we had to abide by. And I broke those rules at 17. Right. I, I moved out on my own okay. and I never looked back. Wow. But I still lived in a bubble, in my own bubble that I created for myself because I had these deeply rooted fears instilled in me. You know, the, the fear of judgment, like, oh, people will talk. I can't date outside of my race. People will talk. I can't dress a certain way. People will talk. My mom programmed in me, my culture programmed in me, that reputation is everything. People will talk. And what people think of you matters more than anything in the world. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's such a strong, oh my goodness, that, that just seeps right into your bones, doesn't it? And it's, it's so such an overwhelming thing to have to carry around that everybody's going to be judging you. So mm-hmm. were your parents born in, in the US or were they actually born overseas and, and had these strict cultural views? Yeah, they actually were born. So my mom was born in Syria. My dad was mm-hmm. born in Iraq. And right. I, was, I'm, I was the first to be born in the United States. I was born and raised in Chicago. And they carried over, like every single Assyrian person that came over, they carried the traditions, the cultural, the the way of life, the food, the music, the weddings, the churches, everything has, has come over here. The only difference is we're not just surrounded by our own kind, if you will. We are flooded with the Americanized lifestyle. And so the kids like my generation or my cousins or around my age group that have come here or were the first born here, we were the ones that had to maintain it, but then also felt the temptation of like living an American life. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so we kind of were at a crossroads. It's like, I can either really become who I feel I am inside, or I have to live this life that is in this box that you've created you know? And so it's like, I have to marry an Assyrian guy. I have to get married and have kids. What if I don't want to, you know, it's just so many things that you just have to do to please your parents and to, you know, respect your family, respect your culture. And you're basically living in a box. You're not even living your own life. You can't even live your own authentic truth. And that's why for the last decade, I have felt very stuck in putting myself out there. I've been wanting to write a book or be a public speaker or do a podcast or do a YouTube channel. But what has kept me stuck is worrying about what people will think, putting myself out there, saying the wrong thing or coming across in a certain way where all the other Assyrian people or my mom or her family or, you know, people that I don't even know that know of me because they know my family. Oh, did you see Rita did this and that? Oh my God. And talk like you're damned. If you do, you're damned. If you don't, you cannot please everyone. And I learned that just very recently, like they're going to talk anyway. I might as well be me. I'm here for one life and one life only. I'm only here once as Rita Pira. Yes. And I have to live it as fully as possible, which I have. I've challenged the norm completely. Like I'm probably one of the very few that have stepped outside of the cultural box and lived their life the way that, you know, you want to versus yeah. the way you have to. But mm-hmm. I maintained it in within these like guidelines all this time. Yes. I'm just like, I don't care anymore. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's confronting for your parents as well because they're coming from such a strong cultural background and having been born in another country mm-hmm. and their whole world is doing things a certain way and they've come to a, a place that's completely different. And I guess it is, it has been very confronting for them that their kids are not going to continue doing exactly what they did. Yeah. And that's been one of the pressures on me um, because I'm now 30, 35, I'll be 36 on November 30th and I'm not married yet and I don't have kids. 
But a big part of it is I'm kind of like runaway bride. The second I'm forcing myself into a relationship, forcing it to go down the route of marriage, my inner being, my soul is like suffering. It's like, no, stop, get out. What are you doing? Like, I don't want it. Yeah, I don't. And so yeah. forcing myself to please my mom so that her family can stop asking her, when's Rita going to get married? You know, it's an, yeah. it's like, I have to just so that you guys can be happy. Like, so you can celebrate me and have a wedding that lasts one day. And then I have to deal with this person for the rest of my life. Like, and they condemn divorce too. So I'd literally be stuck. Like you can't get divorced either. You know, that's a lot of pressure, isn't it? It is. And, you know, I actually did a podcast episode that releases tomorrow um, with a trans woman that's Chaldean, which is very close to what I am, Assyrian. And when I saw her on Instagram, I reached out immediately. I was like, how? I cannot believe that this is real because I can't even date a black guy without them losing their shit on me. And, you know, then this person was male and now is female in this community of ours, this culture, this bubble. That blew my mind. Like, absolutely insane and it's inspiring because it's like you know what yeah let's let's live our authentic truth so this is my episode that's launching tomorrow releasing exciting i'll definitely be listening to that one so what is the role of a father in that cultural background what was your dad like growing up yeah man of the house for sure very like I'm the boss. I'm the man of the house. I bring in the money. You're not allowed to work. You stay at home with the kids. I remember when it was like 1990, my mom wanted to get a job and it was rightfully so because my dad was struggling. He doesn't manage money well and whatnot. And so she wanted to get a job. This, This grocery store was being built and opening down the street and she wanted to apply. And he said, no, like she literally had to ask for permission. That's how the role is. Yeah. Can you believe this? And it's not as strict anymore. I think now with any, with every generation, it's getting more and more flexible as far as what we are doing, you know, and they're not marrying Assyrians. They're mixing races now, which I felt like I was only able to stretch the boundary or the limit of, of who I could date to just a white person. And if it were anything else, they would condemn me because being Christian, like, oh, you can't, you know, date someone Jewish, being Christian, you can't date someone Muslim, you know, it's, or being, and then they just are racist. So they don't want you to be with anyone who's African-American or black. It's just insane that this is how it is in like very, 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 very strict Middle Eastern cultures and some other cultures I've heard are, are the same, but that are not Middle Eastern, but I can only speak for my own. Mm, that's a lot to deal with. And, and what about your mom then? So it sounds as if she hasn't had many choices. She's been really, her life has been driven by what your dad wants, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And see, I know that she'll never hear this podcast, so I can say this, <laughs> yeah. um, but I've been telling her to divorce my dad since I was 12 years old. And divorce is just not a thing. You're just, you just don't do that. And it's funny because I remember telling her that recently, actually, well, fairly recently, she, she said, you know, people will talk if you divorce, right? And I said, mom, people are talking about you right now for staying, you know, because they're seeing what's happening. They're not stupid. And so would you rather be talked about for getting a divorce and empowering yourself And, you know, stepping into a new version of yourself, like, or do you want this to be your life forever? Yeah. It's kind of like the the women that I coach when they're in toxic relationships. I tell them, is this, is really this the life that you want to live? Do you want this to be your life? Like, really? Mm. And it's great. I had to ask myself this recently, actually. I found myself in a toxic relationship that started out very beautiful. And then I didn't even realize it until toward the tail end, like within eight months, like after eight months of just trying to make it work, trying to make it work. And I'm like, oh my goodness, am I in a toxic relationship? And then I started to pay attention to what was happening on a daily basis. And I was like, oh my God, I am. And then I asked myself, 
do I want this to be my life? And then I felt like I was coaching one of my clients. And my answer was, no, this cannot be my life. And I had to empower myself to leave the hardest thing I ever had to do, honestly, for a number of reasons. But with my mom and her role and, you know, wanting to get a job and my dad not allowing it. And then, you know, she ended up doing it anyway, which I was super impressed that she actually did that. And then she still works there till this day. And now she's the man of the house. She's running the show. The house that they live in, she and I own together. And she's paying basically everything. And my dad lives there and doesn't work. Can you believe that? How the roles have reversed? That's interesting, isn't it? (laughs) Wow. So sometimes I guess you do have to just say, this is what I'm doing. Because, I mean, we can all just sit there and do what we're told. But if you can have the bravery to step out and do it, then she's actually changed a little bit for herself. What was it like growing up then watching your parents' marriage? How did you feel about that? You know, it's interesting is that everything from our childhood impacts our lives as adults. We may not realize it, we may not see it, but it is a direct correlation of what has happened in our childhood, what we've, what we've witnessed subconsciously and consciously is completely dictating how we behave as adults. And I was actually just reading um, Permission to Put Yourself First by Nancy Levin. She's going to be on my podcast, by the way, on November 21st, I'm recording with her. And uh, the chapter that I'm in right now is all about recognizing what your childhood beliefs are or what your beliefs are around relationships that you picked up from your childhood. And so from my childhood, I remember witnessing my parents just not be affectionate at all. It's just not a thing in the Middle Eastern culture. You're not affectionate toward your spouse. And they were not really like, it just seemed like an arrangement to me versus two people actually in love. And then I, I think I subconsciously picked up on things that my dad was doing that um, made me believe certain things about marriage and men. And it turned me off completely from it. Like I, I, sabotage. Whenever I got into a relationship, I would sabotage or I would date men that were similar to my dad. And I only realized it after it was insane. I remember I was in New York and I was dating somebody who was lying, cheating, pumpkin eating left and right. And I would just stay, I would stay and stay and stay. And I don't know why, but one day he came home at seven 30 in the morning and I'm standing there with the phone to my ear and had this huge aha moment, a flashback just came rushing to my brain. And it was like, <gasps> like something came over my entire body. And I just felt like I was my mom standing in the living room, calling my dad, leaving him a voicemail, telling him, where the hell are you? And wow. I didn't even remember that I had that memory until this very moment that I was standing in the living room at seven in the morning, calling him. So yeah. I subconsciously manifested a man that was similar or behavior was similar to my dad's. Isn't that insane? It is crazy, isn't it? How that happens Mm -hmm. because you think you've got totally, you've got total control of what you're doing and you're never going to do that. And then you find yourself actually right in the middle of doing exactly what you didn't want to do. It's just weird. How does that even happen? Exactly. And I was with him because I was forcing myself to find someone, anyone who would marry me. Like, yeah, because I'm supposed to get married. And oh my goodness, I was 28 years old already. Oh, oh, clock is ticking. Let me, you know, and now I'm like so grateful. Oh my gosh, I'm so grateful that I didn't marry any of the guys that I've dated in the past because I would not be who I am today if I had. I wouldn't live where I'm living. I wouldn't have experienced what I've experienced. I wouldn't have spent the money I've spent. I wouldn't have vacationed where I've vacationed. I wouldn't be starting a business right now, you know, and doing a podcast and all these things. I would have been a mom at a young age, you know, taking care of a household, taking care of a husband, trying to maybe have a job as well and all the things, just living a normal life. And there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. That's for not, you know, that life is for some people and it's not for others. And I don't know that I want that life. I'm not sure yet. And that's okay to not know. And if I meet someone who just sweeps me off my feet and that's something that we want to build together, great. But I'm not, looking for it intentionally. Like I need to get married. I need to have kids because I love my life as it is by myself. Like I thrive when I'm alone. I lose myself. And this is something I need to learn as well because of my childhood and all of that, watching my mom put herself last and put everybody else first and, you know, not even taking care of herself or her needs or anything. That's what I always do all day long. And so I'm learning to stop doing that and to put myself first and not lose myself in a relationship 
because I always lose myself. I stop focusing on myself and taking care of myself and my needs. And I put the person I'm with first and their needs and my stuff goes last. And then I start to feel empty and, you know, I'm not loving myself. I'm not taking care of myself. And so until I learn how to do that and be in a relationship at the same time, like not lose myself in someone, that's when I'll be ready for something. But only then. Going back to your family growing up, and you said that you didn't see any affection between your parents. Mm -hmm. did, you, did you feel the love from your parents or from your family? Was there love in the house? I would say it was known that you were loved, but it was not said. So that's interesting because if you've ever read um, Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, have you heard of it? Yeah, I've heard of it. Yes. So my love language, ironically, is my, my top two would be acts of service, big surprise, right? And then words of affirmation. So I like to feel appreciated. I like to be appreciated for the things I'm doing, for the acts of service, right? Um, it's not necessarily, oh, telling me that I'm beautiful. I don't need to necessarily hear a compliment, things like that. That doesn't really feed my soul. But with that whole being loved when I'm a kid, there's no word I love you in, in Assyrian. Like there's really no phrase where you say I love you from your kid to your mom or your mom to the kid or from the husband to like, it sounds funny, the phrase that would be used. It's just not something that you really say. So there's really not language to express love in that way under, from what I know. And growing up, I, I, when I was, you know, speaking English with my family, my dad would yell at us, hey, speak Assyrian, you know, like, oh God, okay, we're not allowed to speak English in the house. Like that was life. And so when I would say to my mom, I love you, she wouldn't even say it back because she felt awkward and uncomfortable saying it, you wow. know, and now, now she says it all the time. Like, I love you. She goes, I love you too. But for a while she used to say same thing. Like she wouldn't even say, I love you back. She would say same thing because it's so awkward for them to express love. It's so bizarre, but yeah. So that's probably also something that, you know, I carried with me as an adult subconsciously. Yeah. yeah. You've got a brother and a sister. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what was your relationship like with them growing up? <clears throat> so my brother and sister are younger than me. I'm the oldest. So I paved the way for them to break the rules. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Because when I moved away when I was 17, it kind of like opened the floodgates. They were able to kind of do whatever they wanted at that point. It's like, oh, cool. You know? Um, but so my brother is the youngest. My sister and I were so close in age, like a year, year and a half apart. So she was always stealing my clothes and our rooms, we either shared a room and had bunk beds or then our rooms were separate, but like kind of connected. And she'd just always steal my clothes. We would always fight. But I remember when we were a lot younger, we were like best friends. And then now that we're older, we've connected in a really big way where I actually helped her through, a, you know, decide and come to the point where she realized that she was in a marriage that she shouldn't be in and that she should get a divorce and that it's going to be okay and people will talk and who cares, but do you want this to be your life? You know? Yeah. So I helped yeah. her through that. And now she's got her own apartment for the first time in her entire life as a 34 year old woman. Now her first apartment by herself has a job, is decorating, feeling good, single, working on building her business, like whole new life, whole new right. life. Yeah. And and the world didn't explode. The world did, did not explode. <laughs> Look at that. Isn't so did that amazing? she, and did she feel pushed into that marriage? Do you think? Well, so here's the thing, you know, how our childhood affected, you know, us and me in the way that I've already described, we both lived in the same household. So she definitely took on a lot of the same things I did, but she developed different uh, beliefs than I did, maybe deep, more deeply rooted, more painful, more dramatic, because I moved away when I was 17, she stayed. Right. So she was immersed in that culture all this time. She's still in Chicago. So mm -hmm. she's still immersed in the culture, immersed in the people and engaging and, you know, being around it. Whereas I left, I disappeared. I've been living a completely separate life. Like no one would know what I'm up to or what I'm doing or what I'm wearing or who I'm hanging out with or anything unless I put it on social media. Yeah. So I've kind of lived, I've broken away, um, whereas she has stayed. And I think that the marriage that she found herself in was just her staying in a comfort zone 
that was familiar and safe because every guy she dated was also similar to our dad in a certain way. And then the one that she stayed with was just comfortable, familiar, someone that she went to high school with and they were together and friends for like 10 years and they just got comfortable and went with it, you know? And then there were the yeah. pressures of, oh, you guys are living together or my, my sister was always there. So she, my mom would say, just get married, just get married. Like she really was pushing this marriage thing. And so I realized that and I was trying to tell her like, hey, I don't, I don't see this working. Like you can do so much better. What are you doing? You know, and I love him. He's my best friend. Okay, sure. You know, like letting her do her thing. But yeah. And then my brother, he's, he was born in 1990 and I'm in 84. So we've got um, a bit of a gap there. And I moved away when I was 17. So he was in his prime, you know, growing up phase and teenage years, even prior to like, I didn't get to be with him and really get to know him and watch him grow up. Really. I'd come to visit and stuff. So we're not as close. And he just got married to the most amazing woman in the whole world. I'm, they are soulmates. They're meant to be. It's just such a beautiful relationship. And if I'm ever to end up with anybody, I hope it's at least a fraction of what they are. Oh, beautiful. That. That's yeah. so amazing. And is she yeah. a Syrian? Is she a no. Syrian? No. She's a white oh, okay. girl. Okay. She's a white girl. Yeah. I love her so much. She's amazing. She's amazing. They're, they're both really great together and, and he's turned out to be a, a good human. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, so what other sort of limiting beliefs do you think you got from your childhood? Money mindset was also one. I think just feeling like money was scarce and definitely not abundant, you know, just because I guess my dad, whatever we wanted, they gave us. So I should have thought that it was, you know, abundant and whatever I wanted, I could have that sort of thing. But at the same time, I could kind of tell that we weren't rich. We weren't poor by any means. We we're, I would say, just, you know, making it. Yeah. And I remember I was being, I was 12 years old and I was asking my parents to save money so that I could go to college. I was begging my dad at 12 years old, hey, can you just save like a penny a day or a dollar, just something, please, so I can go to college? And I'm sitting on a mountain of student loan debt as we speak because he didn't save a penny. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think money mindset is definitely one that I had to work through. Just, you know, one day I remember I wanted to go to the mall and I asked for money and they said, we don't have it. We don't have it. And I said, Oh, wow. Okay. And I was maybe 16 going on 17. Right away, I went straight to the mall and I got myself a job right. just like that. And I learned the importance of having good credit because I learned that my dad didn't have good credit and I learned how important good credit was. So right away, I, I was on a mission. I'm going to have good credit. I'm going to you know, have my own car, my own place. I'm going to buy a house one day. And so when you were coming from this family with this cultural identity, and then did you go to a normal school? How did you fit in? Did you think? Oh, gosh. Wow. Yeah. So I went to, you know, your average public school that was in the neighborhood. And I was, you know, this little, this little hairy, dark skinned, um, Middle Eastern girl that kind of looked like a troll, <laughs> which is funny now because you look at me and you wouldn't believe it, right? It's like, yeah. what? No, whenever I tell people I was really severely bullied that I wanted to kill myself, they don't believe me. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was very dark skinned, hairy as all Middle Easterns are <laughs> typically. Um, my dad wouldn't let me do anything with my eyebrows, which I had one big giant eyebrow. And then I, my arms were really hairy and really dark. My hair was super bushy and thick. And um, yeah, they bullied me. They made fun of me. They called me Teen Wolf. And mm. whenever I would walk past, they would howl at me like a wolf and mm. called me TW for short. So there was that, you know, and I remember trying to transfer schools and they couldn't, they wouldn't allow it because of the district I lived in. Um, but yeah, and I was in an ESL class because I learned Assyrian first in our household and my parents didn't let us speak English. So the English I did learn before school was from TV, like Sesame Street and things like that. And then learned English in school. And I was in like an ESL class where we actually had an Assyrian teacher because the, the area I lived in was so heavily populated with Assyrians that there was an Assyrian teacher, which is crazy if you think about it. Yeah. But yeah, so... 
elementary school was not easy at all. (laughs) No, that's hard, isn't it? And you were obviously asking to change schools and and nobody was really listening to that? Uh, no, I, I remember I went to a school that I wanted to transfer to. And I don't remember if my mom took me to transfer or to try to transfer or if I took myself to find out if I could transfer. I don't remember if I took it upon myself and went to find out if I could transfer or if my mom actually drove me and took me. I don't remember. But I do remember trying to transfer and they wouldn't, they wouldn't do it. Mm, Not that's... they as in my parents, but they as in the school. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, that's hard, isn't it? They were mean. Those kids were mean. And you know what's really funny is that in 2008, I ended up in this movie. It came out in 2009. I was in the movie The Hangover. All right. <laughs> yeah. And so the the kids that bullied me back in the day, they actually tried to message me and like a couple of the guys that I had a you know, I had a crush on the the most popular boy in school, you know, and he reached out and wanted to hang out with me and tried to make out with me. And I was like, get out of here. You can't have me now. You bullied me when I was a kid. Payback's a bitch. <laughs> wow. So I That's got a little bit of revenge there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What were you doing in the hangover? Um, I take up the entire screen for like six seconds in a white bikini. <laughs> Really? I'll have to check it out next time I watch it. I've watched it before, but... Um, yeah, you'll yeah, go back. It was 12 years ago, you know, and people go, oh my gosh, it doesn't look like you. I'm like, yeah, it was 12 years ago. But it's funny because I was in my 20s and people say I look better now than I did in my 20s. And I think that's because of my diet for like the last 10 years, I've been vegan and juicing and all of that. So that definitely has something to do with it for sure. With your your family, and you're saying that there was a lot of Assyrian people in the community Mm -hmm. Did you have other people, did you talk to other people outside of your family if you were struggling with anything? I honestly don't remember if I, I mean, I had a friend, my best friend was a Syrian. My parents didn't let me sleep over anybody's house. If they let me sleep over anyone's house, it was only Mary's house and that was it. But that's, I don't remember confiding in her. I don't remember having issues or problems that I needed someone to talk to about. I don't even remember who I cried to about being bullied aside from, I don't remember if I ever went to my mom and said, Hey, I'm being bullied and teased. Or if she just said, Hey, it's okay. That's how kids are. I don't remember. I really have no recollection of what it was like for me as a kid or even trying to reflect on where I lived. I only remember the house that we lived in when I started elementary school. Prior to that, I don't remember anything as a kid really. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Uh, Yeah, I mean, I had, I had friends, but I was such a people pleaser that I just wanted everyone to like me. So the popular girls, you know, I was like, really trying to be their friend. And I was blow drying their hair and, you know, doing their makeup for picture day on, you know, eighth grade graduation and all of that. And I think they were just using me. And they didn't really care for me to be their friend in a real way. But yeah, oh, that's, just, that's so sad, isn't it? Yeah, all my that elementary stuff. experience was not great. Not yeah. great at all. Not at all. I mean, I was teacher's pet and I loved school. I loved learning. I knew that I wanted to be a teacher since I was like maybe eight or nine years old. And I would stay in during lunch, partly because I didn't want to go and be exposed to be bullied. And then partly because I really enjoyed spending time with my teacher and grading papers and washing the chalkboard and all of that. So I ended up becoming a teacher after all. But I left that, um, I left the classroom after my first year and a half of teaching, but then I ended up teaching at the college level. (laughs) So, and then, and then now I'm teaching women, you know, different things. It's not, you know, math and science and reading. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Always a teacher, you know, it's in my blood. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So when you say that you weren't allowed playdates or sleepovers, was Mm -hmm. that, it must be hard then to be a part of you know, social life and to have groups of friends when those things are restricted. So why were they restricted? Do you think? Um, Maybe I would say as a, if I were a parent and I came from another country and I, you know, I'm exposing my kids to this American culture that is not following our rules and things like that. And the way we live, I think they probably did it um, to protect us from what they thought might have been bad for us, you know, or didn't want to expose us to things maybe 
just to protect us, I think. That's probably why. Yeah, that's the only thing I could think of is just to shelter and protect. You yeah. Know? And and you have to keep in mind too, this was the this was the 90s, right? 80s and 90s. So it was different. We were actually outside playing. We walked to our friend's house, rang the doorbell and, you know, or called the house and the line was busy and you walked over there and knocked on the door. Like that doesn't happen anymore today. <laughs> you know, so it's completely different, the childhood back then and what was going on. Um, I wasn't really, there weren't like parties or, you know, Snapchat or, you know, Instagram or anything like that. To, and I'm so grateful, honestly, that I grew up back then than now because, I can't imagine what kids' lives are like now as kids going through life with social media and having a cell phone attached to them. It's almost like you don't really have your own individual, you know, identity yeah. in a in a real authentic way. You're not even separated from your phone for one minute. You take it with you to the bathroom. It's insane. Yeah. Mm. And you're not just going to get bullied potentially by five or yeah. six kids at school, you can get bullied by anybody. Anyone in the world. Yeah. And, and then the you... bullying follows you home yes. on your device Absolutely. online. Yeah. yeah. It's really, quite really terrifying scary. actually, isn't it? It is. And that's why suicides and, you know, teen, teen situations like that have skyrocketed because of online, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So were you expected to dress in a certain way or were there other sort of personal things that you were really controlled. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you'd have to be modest, you know, dress modestly, not necessarily, you know, like how Muslim women, for example, wear certain um, coverings, head coverings, things like that. But when we went to church, we had to cover our heads, just put a, a yankerchief kind of thing over our head just when we were inside of the church, but as women and men didn't wear a hat or anything like that. But like for school, my mom dressed us, you know, until we were of age to pick our own clothing. But even then, it's almost like we knew subconsciously like, hey, you know, don't show too much skin. And, you know, that it's still kind of it's funny because I've just now only recently since I lived in New York for a little while, broken out and started wearing whatever I wanted and the wildest, coolest clothing. And then now that I'm in California, I am constantly 24 seven in crop tops, shorts. I don't even wear a bra. Like I am so in love and free with my body. Like it feels so good. And no one is here. No one will, I won't run into anyone. Would I dress like this in Chicago? Probably not. See, because everywhere I go, there's an Assyrian person, but at the same time, I'm posting pictures of me in crop tops and shorts, and I'm not caring what people say. And I know they're seeing it. And I used to be so cautious of what I would post so that my mom wouldn't see it, so that my mom's friends or family wouldn't see it. And now I just don't care. Yeah. I cannot believe that I don't care, Dawn. Like this is seriously a huge step that I've taken in my life and a healing that I've that I've overcome this this block of having to live a certain way for other people's expectations of me to be met. Yes, I'm so I want to do like a dance, a happy dance right now. Yes, <laughs> I want to do one for you. I think that <laughs> I love that. I love that, you know, you finally get to a stage where you go, I don't care. This is my life. I'm going to do what I want with it, you know, and it's, yeah, it's huge to get to it's that. It's insane. I still can't believe it sometimes, you know, and my mom, even till this day has hidden the fact that I've moved away or that I lived with a guy without being married, like these are all very taboo things. You don't yeah. move out until you're married, period. And you don't live with a guy unless you're married, period. Like very, very taboo. So she's been lying. <laughs> Sorry, mom, putting you out there. <laughs> she's been lying to people, telling them that I still live at home or I'm away for work or something like that. It's like, come on, yeah. man, why do you care? Just who cares? Who yeah. cares? Yeah. We're all going to die one day and they're not going to take this to their, you know, afterlife and remember that I moved out at 17. <laughs> yes. It's obviously so deeply ingrained in your mum, all the, the importance of all of these things. And I guess she will never get past that, but here you are and you've just gone bang. I'm getting past it. <laughs> I'm going to, Finally, I'm going to do something. <laughs> so many years. Geez. Yeah. Uh, and there was, there was so much control there for, around you growing up how does that affect your mental health do you think 
Oh man, I think that it's really, I'm one of the most self-aware people that you may ever come across. And I think it's partly because I'm very intuitive. I'm very in tune. I pay attention to what I think and what I feel. And I allow my feelings. I feel my feelings. I convey my feelings. I communicate. I say what I'm thinking. I say what I'm feeling. I don't hold back. There's no guessing with me. So I think that my mental health has always been, you know, for the lack of repeating, you know, but healthy (laughs) also because of what I've been putting in and on my body and surrounding myself lately the past couple of years with only positive things like the news. I don't watch the news at all. I'm in a little happy bubble. I only surround myself with positive things. Like if you look at my Facebook feed, nothing but positive, spiritual, happy people posting things that are beautiful. I don't follow any politics. I don't follow any news. I don't have complainers on my feed. Like this is not something that I want in my awareness and having that sort of upbringing and having, you know, to go through what I went through, I believe everything happens for you, not to you. And since I've had that mindset, that mentality, you know, for the last several years, I've, I've been able to look at things as a lesson versus why is this happening to me? Oh my God, poor me. Why me? Wah, victim mode, right? Even when I was in my early 20s, and I, I'm going to throw this out there, but I haven't done an episode on this yet, so you're getting the exclusive, my dear. But in my early 20s, I was almost raped and murdered. Oh, my goodness. And instead of that breaking me and ruining me, and you know, nobody even knows this in the Syrian community, like, oh, this would tarnish me. No one would want to marry me now, right? Like, you know what I mean? So I don't think my mom even remembers this because I don't know if she knows the details or even asked for the details or wanted to know them and we she, you know just bury it pretend it didn't happen sort of thing but not me i'm grateful that it happened it changed my life for the better instead of having it ruin me and make me you know turn to drugs or gangs or be depressed or you know whatever i looked at that like okay why is this happening why did this happen wake up call what did i need to wake up to hanging out without with the wrong people dressing a certain way i shouldn't be dressing um, just completely living a false identity. And it shook me to my core and it changed me right then and there. In that very moment, I changed my life completely. I went from this little wannabe thug <laughs> to, I was like, ghetto fabulous. And I, I switched it right away to this classy professional businesswoman immediately like that overnight. Wow. Yep. That's a massive strength of character that you've shown there and and to be able to bring all of that out and just say what i'm going to take out of this like it sounds like a horrific experience it was it was very scary something positive that's that's just amazing you you should be able to bottle that up and sell that because so many (laughs) i don't know that anybody you know there's not many people that can do that you know, it's interesting though. I am, I, that's kind of what I do in my coaching. And I've done this even for my ex. He told me about a traumatic event that happened in his life. And every single time he talked about it or he didn't talk about it on purpose. And the, I got him to open up about it and tell me about it. And I'm able to take exactly the traumatic thing that happened to you and turn it around for you to see it in the light of why it happened and all the beautiful things that came as a result because yeah. of that traumatic thing. So everything is happening for you right now. If you're in something traumatic, if you're in something that's just like completely devastating and you're why meing yourself all over the place, stop and just expect there to be a reason for it down the line that you're not seeing yet, but it's for you, not to you. Yeah. And if you hold on to that, anything that comes your way, you view it as a lesson, as something to learn, a way to grow. And that, that's really my mantra, I guess. I carry that every single day. Whatever happens is for a reason. I could get into a car accident tomorrow and I'll say, oh, because I was probably headed somewhere that I shouldn't have been going or you know, just anything to, to just be like, you know what? It's okay. It's fine. I will make it through this. It's happening for a reason and, and just surrender and release it and let it go. And that's it. If you keep replaying things in your head over and over and over, you're tricking your brain into thinking it's happening again and again and again. And then stress causes illnesses. So you're only hurting yourself by dwelling on things. Absolutely. I love everything about everything you just said. That was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So 
Just going back to, you said that you left home at 17. Mm -hmm. that, that, was, that was a big, huge, strong decision that you made there. I mean, yeah. to, to be in the family you were in and at 17, because that's really young, mm -hmm. to say, I'm, I'm actually out of here now. Like, how, how does that come about? I'm going to blow your mind again. You ready? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this is what happened. I remember I was out one night. Was I 17 or 18? I, I'm probably, I don't know. I, it was 17, 18 or 17 about to turn 18, something like that. I remember coming home and I had been out with friends and I had been, you know, I had a drink or two. I come home and I'm laying on my bed. My dad comes into my room drunk as usual and he was like hey change into your pajamas i'm like leave me alone like i just had passed out on the bed fully clothed <laughs> change into your pajamas i said oh my god like why leave me alone please like leave me alone and he drags me out of the bed onto the floor and proceeds to beat my face in black and blue oh my gosh why right yeah and so in that moment I'm just getting punched in the face. And my mom comes down and sees this happening. She stops him. She pulls him off of me. And I remember literally just sitting there kind of like my head spinning. And I, I'm seeing my mom like double, right? And blood is gushing from my mouth, I'm sure. And in that moment, I'd made that decision. I'm out of here. There's no way I can stay here. There's no way I will live here. I'm leaving. I'm moving out. And I called the police on him. And that's something you're not supposed to do. You don't call the police on your family. Like no matter how much your dad beats you with the belt, because that's a thing too in Middle Eastern cultures. Wow. You don't call the police. My aunt, I remember, called me, his sister, one of his sisters, called me and congratulated me basically on doing that. Did she? Oh, yeah. She's like, good. Good for you. I'm glad you did that. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you very much. So oh. he went to jail and you know, all of that. And yeah, yeah. So that's what really did it for me. That's why I was like able to say, you know what, I'm out of here. And you did this to yourself. So good job. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I remember packing boxes and my mom's like, where are you going? Oh my God, are you really leaving? Where are you going to go? And all that. I'm like, I got an apartment. I have a job. I have my own car. I'm good. I'm going to go. Like, I don't need to be here living in this with this. And the sad thing is that for a, a, a good decade following that, I hated my dad. I hated him. Mm -hmm. I carried this anger. I carried this resentment. I just held it in my body for so long. And then keep, bundle that with what I viewed relationships to be or a marriage to be or how my mom was and all of that. Like bundle all that. Like how could I ever have a healthy relationship with anybody? Right? And so I had so much healing to do, so much work to do over the years. And I remember I was laying on the beach in New York one day and I was reading this book by Marianne Williamson called A Return to Love. And I, I got to this page about forgiveness. And she said, holding resentment and anger or not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And that hit me so hard, so hard. In that moment, I had to put the book down and I just took a deep breath. I'm staring up at the sky, hearing the ocean. It was almost like I was in a state of meditation as I'm reading. And I right then and there in that very moment, after she talked about a, a couple of things about like having empathy for where your parents you know, came from and their childhood, because I never thought about this, what my dad's childhood was like for him to be this way, you know, what hopes and dreams he had that didn't come true or, you know, how, whatever his dad was like to him or whatever it was living like living in Baghdad like what was that like like i can't even imagine the trauma that he experienced so as a result he is who he is right and he's drinking his pain away right that's how he's coping so mm -hmm. i began to have empathy for him and forgiveness filled my heart and i said the words out loud i love you i forgive you i release this anger i release this resentment that's it i'm done i'm done hating you i love you i even called him I told him happy birthday on his birthday. I told him happy Father's Day and hadn't done this in 10 years. I'd been gone 10 years. And the second I forgave him, the second I released him, I suddenly started feeling like I missed my family and I wanted to go home and be with them. So every time I thought about them, I would cry. 
I would cry. My body was reacting to the thought of seeing them. I would just cry uncontrollably and I couldn't figure out what the heck was going on. I was taking it as a sign as maybe I'm supposed to go back home now. Maybe I did the work I was supposed to do. I was guided to New York. That's another story. And I, I had to discover Gabby Bernstein. I had to discover the books that I bu- discovered and meet the people I met and grow into the woman that I became that was able to forgive her dad in a real way. And then when I moved back to Chicago, because I followed these body signs of mine, my body reacting that way, moved back to Chicago. The first month that I was back, not only did I help my sister heal because I told you what she was going through and helped her through that, but also met the love of my life that first month I was back, who now that person, I just recently left because he turned out to be a narcissist in a couple of ways, but I still love him. I really do. And I believe maybe he's my twin flame. And I don't know if you know anything about that, but that's another story. But because of him, I'm in California where I always said I'd be, I'd end up. And here I am. It's amazing. It all comes full circle. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Forgiveness is the key to everything you want in life. Truly is. I love that. I love how everything changed when you forgave. And and that's that's the cycle of families, isn't it? Because Mm -hmm. we have to understand what has happened to the people that came before us and what they've been through. But when you're younger and it's all happening to you, it's not the right place and time to even know anything about that. But as we get older and you can look back and say, okay, well, you've had your own journey and you've had so much to deal with as well. And what happened wasn't good enough, but actually I, I forgive you for what you did. And, oh, that's just, that's just amazing. Yeah. It's not even about, you know, forgiving someone for what they did. And it's not about them deserving forgiveness. This is something that I learned in the book that I mentioned she, it, it's, it's more about releasing yourself, freeing yourself, because you don't decide that somebody need, you know, get somebody deserves forgiveness or not. It's yeah. really, they have their own guilt and shame bottled up. They, they're not worried about whether you forgive them or not. It's more about you releasing it. You yes. freeing yourself because yeah. you're the one suffering. Right. And I'll tell you what, when you are angry and resent and having resentment and, you know, these, these negative vibrating feelings, they get stored in your body and they manifest as illnesses. They manifest as pain, physical pain. Yes. And then it's taking up space. So once you release that space, something else comes in. And that's how I manifested the love that brought me to where I always said I'd end up. Yeah. <laughs> And that was the first time this relationship with him was the first time in my life that I actually trusted a man fully, honestly, truly didn't touch his phone. Not one time didn't feel the need to genuinely trusted him. And the other thing is because of him, I wear almost zero makeup now, like zero. It's crazy because being as how I was bullied and all of that, I piled the makeup on, kicked it on, felt that I needed it you know? And, and that's, that's huge for me to look in the mirror and feel that I don't need it or don't want to wear it and prefer not to. It's crazy coming from my childhood for sure. Absolutely. And so what is, what's your relationship with your mom and dad like right now? My mom and I are really close, have always been. Um, There's probably not a day that goes by that I don't hear her voice or uh, see her on FaceTime or something like that. All these years that I've been living elsewhere, she's, you know, she's still in Chicago and I've lived since I left, I've lived on a tour bus for a summer (laughs) on Vans Warped Tour. And then I lived in Vegas for several months. And then I moved back to Chicago just for a year. And then the winter came and I was like, "Mm -mm, can't do it. And then I moved to Arizona for four years and then I moved to New York for five years. And then that's when I went back to Chicago for a few months, five months to be exact. And then now I've been in California for a year and a half. And this is where I always said I'd end up. So if I don't live here, I'm going to live somewhere else in another country. Other than that, I'm staying in California. But our relationship with my mom is really beautiful. And my dad, I talk to him. Um, I call him randomly, you know, not as consistently as I do with my mom, but you know, it's love. 
and he is who he is and I accept him and love him now as he is and just it is what it is like I'm not trying to judge you or change you or anything this is you know your life you do you <laughs> and that's yeah. it I can yeah. only send you love you know yeah yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> and so what do you think that are the biggest things that have helped you to move ahead and heal that's a really good question I'm glad you asked that because I was thinking about how can my story help others right just hearing what I went through and hearing how you complimented me on you know the strength and the character my character to be able to handle something like the way that I did with being almost raped and murdered and what have you. And really what it is, the key, the key is self-awareness. And that comes from being still, listening to your inner voice, hearing and feeling your feelings and allowing them to actually, for you to actually sit with them and feel them deeply and realize, hey, I'm not happy and that's okay. Hey, this doesn't feel good and that's okay. Let it, let them flow, let the feelings flow. Don't block them. Don't let them get stuck. And then the other thing is the books that I've read, the programs that I've um, spent thousands of dollars on that I didn't have, the whole money mindset thing. I made a decision one day when I was in New York, um, I, met, I met a girl, I moved to a, a building, all this like universe stuff, not coincidental by any means. I don't believe in coincidences. I think everything happens for you. And so I, I met this girl. She handed me a book called The Universe Has Your Back by Gabby Bernstein. That book changed my life. It yanked me out of depression by chapter three. And I learned about her program, Spirit Junkie Masterclass. And it was $2,000. And I was like, I meant to do this. This is coming to me for a reason. I believe it fully. And she had a scholarship thing. And I was, I applied for it. And I was like, I'm going to get a scholarship. I just know it. And they did award me uh, half of the cost in the scholarship. And I was like, oh, it's still $1,000. Oh my gosh. You know what? I'm doing it. I have to do it. I have to do it. I just put it on a credit card. And I said, it is what it is. I have to do it. My life will not change unless I do this. And sure enough, changed my life forever. So, you know, kicking that money mindset to the curb and saying, you know what, this is for me. It's for my personal development, you know, and, and investing in yourself, I would say yeah. is, is key, key. Invest in yourself, in your personal development, read books, do programs, get a coach, go to therapy meditate, do yoga. All these things are, are super healthy and good for your soul. And I would also say, don't eat processed foods because processed foods have chemicals. Some, I'll say some processed foods, um, certain types and different companies and whatnot, they have chemicals that are designed to get you sick and addicted and all of that. And, you know, with like depression and all of that, there's no coincidence that the same companies are creating the same foods that are, you know, making you depressed and then they have a pill for it too, you know? So it's just put natural, healthy, organic, natural human food what's meant for humans in your body and you will feel better. You'll be happier. You'll just glow from within. And it's just about nourishing your body. You'll notice that you'll be so much happier. Just you'll genuinely, seriously, truly feel happier when you put things that are meant to nourish you in your body. Yeah, absolutely. And what do you think are the best or most important things that we should give to our kids? What do you think are the, are the big things? Yeah, I think just from my experience, my, my own personal childhood and being a teacher, I taught fourth and fifth grade. And just from what I know about childhood trauma and my own you know, experience in, in women that I've coached and whatnot, I think that, and I'm not a parent, you know, but I can say from, from the experience that I just mentioned, I think the most important thing is to just be conscious of what you are saying and doing around your children, whether you think they hear you or not, they are picking it up. Yeah. That's what I would say. And I think you can, you can think that you're saying things and they're not hearing it, but they pretty mm -hmm. much take in, absorb everything. So that's really good advice. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, from my own experience, for example, the story that I told you about my mom being in the living room in the dark on the phone at two, three in the morning, calling my dad, thinking that we're not hearing that and we're not seeing that. How did I have that vision pop up? Yeah standing in my own living room, calling my boyfriend at the time, trying to figure out where the hell he is. Where did Powerful. that come from? She didn't mm. teach me that. 
She didn't teach me to people please. She didn't teach me to worry about what other people think, you know, directly, consciously. It was a subconscious thing I picked up because of all the cult, the, the rules and the way that our lives were and yeah. watching her. Kids are very smart. They're the most intuitive beings on this planet because they're not tarnished yet with societal expectations and such. So yes. super intuitive in tune beings. And you know, what I realized is that kids that have imaginary friends, those are not imaginary friends. Those are literally spirits. Like yes, they're connected. They're not crazy. They don't have an imaginary friend. They're not just talking to someone in thin air. They're literally seeing someone. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've always thought the same thing. It's like, you're still part of the spirit world at a, mm-hmm. a, a young age. And then you, you just get so far because away you're from so that pure. as you get older. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. This is so fun. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> So, so Rita, I am already addicted to your podcast, which is Trading Raw Stories, and I definitely learn something new every time. That's, oh my gosh, you know, little light bulb moment. So it's really awesome. And you're doing lots of other things. So tell us about everything you're doing and where we can find you. You know, it's interesting is thank you, first of all, for what you said about my podcast, but the the stuff that we're talking about right now, I'm talking about all these stories and such on my podcast as well. So it's kind of like a health coaching, life coaching kind of experience. So yeah, I'm glad that you're enjoying it. Thanks for listening to it. I really appreciate that. And I love what you're doing too. This is pretty cool. But so where you can find me other than my podcast, Trading Raw Stories, which you can find on Apple, on um Spotify, Apple Music, or Amazon Music, sorry, and all the channels. And then um, the Instagram account I have is called Raw Vegan Rita, and the podcast Instagram is Trading Raw Stories. And oh yeah, I'm doing a membership for learning how to cook vegan food, raw food, juicing, learning about health and nutrition and all of that for just a a monthly, a small monthly fee. And you join me live every month and get to access everything that's happening weekly with me and learn all the things I've known for a good decade now. So that's pretty much what I have in the works right now. (laughs) Oh, that sounds awesome. And I'll put all the, I'll put all those links below so that people can click and find you. And Rita, you are so amazing. I just think you're such a strong, beautiful woman and you have the most amazing energy and I love everything you're doing. And thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Oh my gosh. Thank you so, so much for having me. This was really fun. I really enjoyed talking with you and I hope that my healing can heal others. And that's why I'm stepping out of this bubble that I was raised in so that I can share my life experience and my story to empower and inspire and motivate and change lives if I can. So thank you for giving me the opportunity. (laughs) How awesome is Rita? I just absolutely love her. She's so amazing. She's had a pretty tough time growing up with so many things. And yet there's this strength there that just says, I'm going to do it my way. And she is doing it. And I absolutely love it. Please Check out her socials and see where you can find her. She's doing some amazing things. I'll put all the links down below. Here are the takeaways. Number one, what we witness in our childhood consciously and subconsciously can dictate our behavior as adults. Number two, people will talk about you anyway. So make choices based on what you want, not what others want you to do. Number three, putting positive things in and on your body helps your mental health and well-being. Eating fresh and healthy foods puts good stuff into your body and you will feel happier and glow from within. Number four, everything happens for you, not to you. Take the traumatic event and turn it around to see what is the reason that this has happened. Number five, holding on to anger or not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Let go of anger. Number six, find empathy for where your parents came from and their childhood experiences because we have all been on our own journey. Number seven, forgiveness is the key to everything you want in life. Allow yourself to forgive by saying out loud, I love you, I forgive you, I release this anger, I release this resentment. Free yourself and forgive because holding on to anger and resentment 
can make us sick. All those illnesses that we have over and over in our lives come from all the stuff we carry in our bodies. Number eight, the key to healing is self-awareness. Being still, listening to your inner voice, feeling your feelings. Don't block them out. Don't let them get stuck. Let them be and acknowledge them. And number nine, invest in yourself. You are worth it. The universe has your back. Thank you so much for being here. Please check the show notes for all the links related to this podcast, including book recommendations. If you have a story to share, questions about this episode, or want to connect in any way, I would love to chat. Please come and find me on Instagram at My Big Love Project. And please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Can you think of one person whose life might change a tiny bit in a positive way by hearing this episode? Please go ahead and share it with someone you know needs to hear it. These stories are so important. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thank you for joining me. I'll catch you next week.